Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now snapping pics on the Deadpool 3 set. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of, gaming, horror, TV, and film, have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, Christian and I are discussing all the latest news and rumors of Nerdum. Plus, we're covering the Game Awards, and we've got our AEW Week in Review. But with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, some major spoilers ahead. It looks like we've got more Deadpool 3 set photo leaks. With production resumed, Deadpool 3 immediately gets more set photo leaks as photos dropped this week on X of Wolverine and Deadpool fighting X-Men 1 Sabretooth. The role was formerly played by Tyler Maine, though the picture isn't clear enough to really tell us if he is reprising the role. Another detail that has caught a lot of people's you know, eyes is the car that's seen in the bottom of the photo, as many believe it might be Human Torch's hot rod, as it is speculated that we might see the Fox version of the Fantastic Four in this film. But that's, you know, mere speculation at this point. Uh, Deadpool 3 is set for July 26th, 2024. And also there was another leaked photo of what looks to be Toad from the first X-Men film riding in a Fantastic Four vehicle of some sort. At this point, there's no word if their original actors, um, Tyler Maine and uh, Ray Park are reprising their roles in the film. Now, I was surprised to see this version of Sabretooth because we did hear a while back a rumor that I believe Schreider was going to be in the film. But I mean, we're dealing with the multiverse, so I guess anything is possible, uh, you know, especially in a Deadpool movie, right? So uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, a multiversal Deadpool movie. I mean, they could both be in it for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, shit, how many different versions of characters did we see in those X-Men films alone? Exactly. You know, so I mean, their continuity was such a mess. God, (laughs) strove me insane. Now, I'm hoping that they actually get like Tyler Maine and Ray Park to reprise, you know, their roles also. Um, Because I never understood why they never had those actors return. Um, You know, like their version of Toad was so much cooler than, you know, the actual comic book version. (laughs) I think we did actually see another actor play the Toad character right at one point in one of the X-Men films. Mm. Um, But yeah, and I like Tyler Maine, like I understood why they went with Lee, like, you know, for X-Men Origins. in, it, 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 but at the same time, like it felt like such a different character too compared to what we got in the first X-Men film. Um, but I mean, you could say that with a lot of the characters in those X films. So, you know, throughout their continuity, um, just so many weird choices. But anyway, I'm not going to harp on that since, you know, that version of the franchise is pretty much dead at this point. So, yes, um, you know, rest in peace. But anyway, they need to get these leaks under control. Um, did you see uh, Ryan Reynolds post? Yes, he, he did. Uh, with he Urkel. Yes, and... <laughs> he did his own leaks <laughs> with uh the Predator and Urkel, uh, and you know then other people started doing their own leaks, you know, with Mickey Mouse and shit like that. And it's just strange that they're having such a hard time, like you know, keeping these set photos off the internet. Um, you know, it almost makes me suspect that maybe they're leaking them on purpose. Um, because it's not like they're like in the middle of a busy city or something like that. Like they're somewhere mm-hmm. in Vancouver, like out in the middle of nowhere. Like you would have to think it was someone on set yeah, doing it. It, it would know? have to like... be. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I, who knows? Who knows? But with all these set leaks, I don't know. It feels like it's pretty much confirmed that we're getting Deadpool versus the Fox Marvel Universe, which mm-hmm. I'm definitely game for. So. But anyway, moving on, we've got a quick update for the upcoming series, Agatha Darkhold Diaries. Disney has finally announced an official release window for Agatha Darkhold Diaries, assuring Marvel fans that it would be coming out as a part of their 2024 release schedule. Rumors have pointed at a late 2024 release, but at least Disney at this point has confirmed that it will be coming in the next year, as long as, you know, nothing happens. Yeah, 2024 is shaping up to be the lightest like year in a long time from the MCU because on the film side all we have is Deadpool 3 and then when it comes to series we have Agatha, Echo, 
which drops like in the very beginning of the year. And then uh, I believe just X-Men 97 confirmed. So, I mean, there's a possibility that that Spider-Man animated series might come out. But is that even uh, the MCU or is that Sony? It says Marvel Studios is Spider-Man freshman year. OK, I'm get then that's the MCU. So I believe at least hmm. because if it's Sony, it obviously doesn't actually count. So. <laughs> Well, Wait, because Sony's then we'd be because the... Sony's got what like uh, Craven, and then Craven, um, Venom, and uh, Madam Web. Madam Web, yeah, yeah. I don't count any of those, so whatever. They're picking uh, up the slack, though. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what we want to call it? <laughs> sure. Yes, it's exactly what I'm going to call it. Makes me or feel the, better. Or, or are they just polluting the waters? It feels like they're polluting the waters to me, at least. All right, well, moving on to some Star Wars news. It looks like we've got an update for Andor. It was noted this week while Disney was announcing its 2024 lineup that while the Acolyte and Skeleton crew were coming out for Star Wars from Lucasfilm, of course, Andor Season 2 was not on their list, which while originally set for a fall 2024 release, perhaps is now being pushed to 2025. But there hasn't been an official word put out by Disney on this matter just yet. I don't think this is really a big surprise to anyone because um, I don't even know if they really you know, like how far into production they were before the actor strike started. Um, so I just kind of assumed this was going to get pushed back big time. Uh, I mean, it, it's exciting that we have so much Star Wars coming in 2024 because we also have the two animated series, right? We've got Bad Batch, mm -hmm. the final season, and I think we've got uh, Tales of the Jedi also coming out. Correct. So, we, I mean, we got four series from Star Wars. We can't really complain all that much. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to the second season of Andor, and it's not only the second season, but the final season of Andor, unfortunately, because <laughs> we all know how that story ends. So, um, but yeah. I now mean, they have time to rewrite it so they can put in a third season. No, that's okay. A, that's okay. <laughs> let's, not, let's not force a third season. Uh -huh. But sticking with Star Wars, looks like we have a filming update for the Daisy Ridley Star Wars movie. The production tracking service production list has updated the untitled race sequel for Star Wars to begin production as soon as April 7th of 2024. The film taking place 15 years after the events of Rise of Skywalker will see the return of Daisy Ridley as Rey while she rebuilds the Jedi Order. Lucasfilm has set a release date for May 22nd, 2026 for an untitled film, but it hasn't been made official that it would be Rey's sequel just yet. Well, since that's a little over a year from the start of production, I mean, it does math-wise feel like it adds up to that actually being, yeah, you know, the Daisy film. So um, I'm excited for this. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of what they did with the sequel trilogy. Uh, but with, you know, Dave Filoni now at the helm, uh, I'm really interested to see what his vision is, you know, for Ray's story. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit more faith in Star Wars now, knowing that they kind of have their own head figure here for, you know, everything going forward creatively. Um, hopefully, you know, this goes in the right direction. We get to see what the future for Star Wars is after, you know, Ray's story. Now, this hasn't been confirmed to be like the start of a trilogy, right? No, no, it's just been it's a it's a standalone as far as we're aware, at least until it makes all the money at the box office, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hopefully they have more foresight than that. And if this is meant to be a trilogy, they're already writing it um, with that in mind. So because that's really what got them in trouble with the sequel trilogy. It just felt like they were making the shit up as they went along. So the premise of this film is Rey training a new crop of Jedi. And then something goes awry at some point. Well, it's what we've yeah, been obviously, told. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it's a cool concept, right? Hopefully, you know, she does something to change the order and not just, you know, kind of go back to what they just showed with Luke. Kind of redoing all the same mistakes so this is just her training like a crop of jedi like she's really trying to rekindle the jedi order as far as we're aware yes okay i mean every every synopsis always comes out with you know she's reigniting the jedi order got you okay do you feel like we're gonna get a grogu sighting here uh he'd be old enough at that right? point Since, to talk and it's <laughs> feloni at you know in charge right now so i don't know i feel like they would want to show the end of the mandalorian story before showing a grown-up you know grogu yeah know? that's true right because that that film is going to take place after 
everything here. Yeah. Um, although they could kind of like mention Grogu and then like leave it a mystery and, you know, and then I, because I'm guessing it's going to happen, you know, maybe a, a year or two after this movie. So you leave it as a mystery and get you kind of excited to see you know where Grogu's story takes him and everything like that because yeah if you do yes. show him here you kind of spoil what's going to happen in you know Filoni's heir to the empire you know series and films or whatever you know whatever the hell he's doing at this point <laughs> right because uh, right, there was rumors that the fourth season of the Mandalorian was also going to be a film so mm. that story could be getting multiple movies because we know that he's uh, Filoni's supposed to also have like a movie to kind of finish all the storylines from you know his series. So, I, it looks like we're in store for a lot more Star Wars in the next decade. Now, if if Grogu did appear as a Sith in the Ray film, now I'd be really interested to where everything's fucking going. <laughs> You're speaking my language, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's happening. No. We also got a DC story this week from Deadline that Sean Gunn, brother of DC Studios head James Gunn, will be playing Maxwell Lord in the DCU. It isn't clear at this time when and where the character will debut, but Maxwell Lord is a slimy criminal mastermind with mind control abilities who debuted in Justice League number one back in 1987. We do know that right now they are going through all the casting for Superman Legacy, so it makes the most sense if they had just casted him uh, to potentially show it up in that role or maybe he'll show up in the animated series that's coming out as well as the actors are supposed to carry on from both the animated side and the live action side so if you get casted as a you know live action character you're also going to be playing them in the animated versions whenever those come out all right, lastly, we've got an update for the Amazon Spider-Man Noir series. Variety reports this week that Stephen Lightfoot, who was the showrunner for the Punisher series on Netflix, will be set to produce and co-showrun on Amazon Prime's Spider-Man Noir series. He will be co-showrunning with Oran Utsil, who is also on to write for this series. Oran is, you know, best known for producing and writing films like The New Moral Combat, Escape Room 2, and Cloverfield Paradox. Is this live action, Christian? Yeah, it's supposed to be live action. Okay. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little nervous after realizing who Oren is uh, because all those films I just listed for him, I did not like any of them. <laughs> Cloverfield Paradox. I don't think I saw that. That's the one where it's out in space and we kind of see when the rock comes down, but like they're all trapped in this kind of weird... Oh, is that, and so that's, and... that went straight to streaming, right? Yeah, that was straight to streaming. That was on Netflix. That's different than uh, Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. Then, right? Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, do we need this? I don't know. Like, I mean, this is the <laughs> definition of milking the cash cow. I mean, Sony just has no fucking shame. Uh, I, you know, the only way I could see myself getting excited for this is if they get, like, Nick Cage to, like, reprise his role <laughs> as Spider-Man Noir. Because um, otherwise, I don't know. I just don't know if we need this. I, I'm like, I could see this getting canceled at any point. Like, especially if, like, <laughs> Madam Web doesn't do well in the box office, which I feel like is I don't a know. crapshoot at best. But Sony's all in on this because, I mean, they're also doing a Silk show... And I, I think there was Christian, one other one at as one well. point. Sony was all in on a fucking Aunt May film. So what does that really mean? I know they got a know. taste of success with, you know, Venom and Into the Spider-Verse. But <laughs> but then look at Morbius. Like, <laughs> I just I don't know. And I just have a, a sneaky suspicion that Madam Webb and uh, Craven are going to be more in the vein of that film. So, I mean, let alone. I mean, you know how I feel about Venom, right? <laughs> I know that film did well in the box office, but I mean, that film was the drizzling shits, if you ask me. You know, I even see the sequel. I mean, really, the only thing they have to hang their hat on is the, the, the Spider-Verse films. So, I mean, you can't blame me for having my doubts here. It's just so weird. They have the keys to the Spider-Verse, like, kingdom at that point. They could have made a live-action film about any of those characters. And I, I understand Spider-Man Noir because it's, you know, based, it's a character that was in one of those so far i was just like hey why not just do spider gwen that's a completely I'm, separate universe you can do whatever the fuck you want with it it feels like such a no-brainer 
exactly. the point where I feel like there must be something in their deal with the MCU. That maybe like Marvel has like, you know, worked it out where they have like the exclusive rights to use Spider-Woman like in live action form. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, like you can't explain to me why they would choose to go the route of Madame Web instead of, you know, Spider-Girl. It just, it, you know, or like, you know, Ghost Spider. Like it just absolutely makes no sense. There, there just has to be more to the story than we know. Um, because like, I mean, they're using Madam Web to like, give us like four spider women. Um, so for me, it just feels like a weird, like workaround. Like for some reason they can't use, you know, spider woman as the main character in the films. Um, but I mean, I could be wrong. They could, you know, the studio could just be run by idiots, um, which is a strong possibility. I mean, once again, I point to the, you know, rumored Aunt May film. I mean, if they were smart, they would just give Lord and Miller, you know, the keys to their Spider-Man, you know, verse, you know, you know, the Spider-Verse guys. Right. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what they're doing over there. They'll figure it out eventually, hopefully, <laughs> or sell the rights. <laughs> I'm hoping for the latter. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week in gaming was a big one as it held both the Game Awards and the first trailer for GTA 6, in which we watched both of these live together on Twitch this week. Um, if you missed my live reactions for GTA 6, I do have to say, while it was all cinematics, of course, and mostly just cutscenes, what really impressed me the most was, you know, crowd density in near every scene of the trailer. The game showed streets busier than what we've seen in games like Cyberpunk, which I think will be crazy if they can really deliver on this. It was the most diverse body types and designs for NPCs, as well as Rockstar made sure to hide as many duplicates of NPCs as possible. I'm, you know, of course, hyped for the game. Rockstar is that one company that always delivers because they're bankrolled to make the most impressive games possible. Modern day Vice City being, you know, real life Florida, which is already one of the wildest states in America, it's gonna be a great place to see, you know, Rockstar's take on. The game is coming for PS5, and Xbox spring of 2025, which a PC release is said to be launching later, similar to what we saw with, you know, GTA 5, which is a tad bit disappointing, but, but whatever has the game, you know, launch in the most stable condition, I'm guessing is what they're going for. Um, if Spider-Man pushed the limits of PS5 though, I can only imagine what this next GTA will do. Uh, moving on over to the Game Awards though, we had what was a pretty good night of awards and announcements made. Overall, I would say this year was a little less cringy than you know previous ones with the humor that they were trying to pull off just a little bit though and the announcements that were made were okay um it wasn't like as big as previous years and i felt like you know as i said before the you know actual event happened during the live stream i don't know if there was anyone really all that of you know, ready for another big event this year after everything that's been announced and shown off this year in general. So I wasn't too surprised that we didn't get anything that was all that show stopping this year. But anyway, let's get into some of the biggest announcements of the night, which one of them can, of course came from Hideo Kojima as we got a brief glimpse of the next game coming from his studio. The game being called OD, which utilizes metahuman tech that was shown off during the Matrix Unreal Engine 5 demo, features lifelike visuals as we get close-ups of actors like Sophia Lillis, Hunter Schaefer, and Udo Kier. Um, their eyes bearing all the visuals you'll get where they see a door opening and kind of scream. Working with Kojima are gonna be several collaborators, though only one came out for the event being horror director and comedian Jordan Peele, which pushes the fact that this game will be most likely a horror game experience. I don't want to say that it's you know straight up a horror experience as Hideo himself didn't necessarily call it that. Um, after Death Stranding, I'm not sure what to expect from any of his titles. So just know that it will probably be visually insane and probably have a very wild story. One of the biggest surprises of the night came from God of War Ragnarok, which is getting a roguelike DLC that will be free to download on Tuesday, December 12th, which we will definitely be playing on stream this week. After um, Last of Us Part 2 and now God of War, I wonder if all of Sony's single player titles will be getting this type of game mode for their games. It definitely feels like the direction that they're going in. 
Beyond that, we have Arcane's main branch that developed Dishonored and Deathloop as they showed off what they've been working on, which is a new Marvel project in Blade. The game will be a third-person action game set in Paris, which I did not get Paris vibes from this teaser, but oh well, the developers are French anyway. Um, it's still in early development, so we will see when this is coming. I just hope they have learned from a lot of what happened with Arcane Austin's Redfall game, as that was you know a big flopped vampire experience for Xbox. Another big surprise came from Sega as they announced they are working on what seems like five new reboots from some of their biggest franchises in Jet Set Radio, Shinobi, Golden Axe, Streets of Rage, and Crazy Taxi. Remakes and reboots these years have been as popular as new IP titles. Hell, I mean, Resident Evil 4 was up for Game of the Year this year, so it's no shock that Sega would want to, you know, take a stab at bringing back some of its most beloved IP. Just hopefully it's not 100% a cash grab by Sega. Everyone's been dying for more Jet Set Radio, um, and I'm super excited to see that game return in particular. Um, Hello Games returned to the Game Awards this year to announce a new project, and it's just as ambitious as No Man's Sky, of course, which at first, you know, made me groan as Sean Mary began explaining his game. But then we saw it in its in-engine trailer for Light No Fire, and I have to say, while the art style isn't necessarily my cup of tea, this game looks impressive. Hello Games has learned a ton over the last 10 years since its you know, somewhat disappointing launch with No Man's Sky, and it really seems to be here in Light No Fire that we may have figured out what they would you know, need to make an explorable fantasy planet in multiplayer as they showed off crafting and flying and brief shots of fighting while exploring this procedurally generated world alongside your friends. If done right, this could be the next big fantasy experience in gaming. But I think like many, I'm going to be holding tight here until you know, we get some hands-on previews. Of course, before you know dipping my toes back in on a launch with Hello Games. But if anyone has proved how a game can be reinvigorated, it's this studio. Moving things along, we got several release date announcements for this year for already announced games like Rise of Ronin, which is coming to PS5 on March 22nd of 2024. Ubisoft's Skull and Bones is finally getting released on February 16th, 2024. Uh, Godspeed there. Uh, <laughs> Black Myth Wukong will be coming August 20th, 2024. Space Marine 2 is coming September 9th, 2024. And Banisher's Ghosts of New Eden, which I feel like will be a sleeper hit next year, will be coming February 13th. Hellblade 2 had another big stage event at this year's Game Awards, but only gave us, you know, the promise of a 2024 release. That's definitely one of my most anticipated games for next year, but we'll see when that actually drops. Um, Zenless Zone Zero is another one that I've been watching, um, and that's only coming to PC and Mac at right now, and that's for 2024 as well. But still waiting, um, but you know, we're still waiting on some full release dates for both these games. Other games that caught my attention this year were titles like Lost Records, Bloom, and Rage, which is coming from the Life of Strange developers. It seems to be their you know, next universe as it follows friends who reunite 20 years after a mysterious event happens in the woods. Former developers at BioWare, who now work for Archetype Entertainment, announced their first new game in, in a sci-fi RPG called Exodus, that will apparently feature performances from Matthew McConaughey. Um, the best way I could describe what was shown off is that it's Mass Effect with time dilation from Interstellar, um, as your character will become a traveler exploring the galaxy while losing time on Earth with loved ones. For Dead by Daylight fans, Behavior Interactive and Supermassive are working on a single-player experience called the Casting of Frank Stone, set in the same game universe. It will feature a cast of friends discovering a gruesome mystery at a local steel mill and of course probably getting themselves hooked. Uh, this is set for a 2024 release as well. Saber Interactive gave us a CG trailer for its Jurassic Park survival horror game as you'll take on the horrors of being trapped on an island of vicious prehistoric beasts, though this is most likely still in early development as a former game was already being worked on and that got canceled, I believe, uh, early this year. Former Payday developers are working on an interesting heist game set in a cyberpunk-style universe with mind-bending elements as they describe it. The CG trailer for Den of Wolves definitely caught my attention as not only a fan of heists, but a fan of cyberpunk genre, so I'll definitely be keeping an eye on this game as it continues to develop. A couple other CG trailers we got were from Lightspeed Studios uh, with their new game, The Last Sentinel, which will 
will embark you into the futuristic Tokyo in what looks like a very corrupt Japan, very cyberpunk style. Um, Lightspeed Studios, however, is led by several former Rockstar employees, but not else is really known about the game just at just at this time. And then there was also a new trailer for the first Descendants, which showed a great sense of scale as the game shows humans, you know, battling giant ancient mecha. So it is a looter shooter, so I probably won't be all that interested in the game. But so far, its trailers have been pretty impressive um, gameplay wise. Um, before we move on, game of the year was Baldur's Gate 3, which was absolutely deserving. Um, it just felt like a league above every other game that was listed. Um, it, it's one that I'll definitely need to get back to streaming wise. There was definitely a moment though, where I thought Alan Wake 2 might sneak in and get game of the year as they were starting to you know, catch up with the amount of awards that they were winning. But overall, Larian Studios absolutely knocked it out of the park and went far above you know, the bar for what most gamers want out of a game. So hopefully the rest of the industry will you know learn and rise to the occasion. Oh, I'm not gonna hold my breath for you know studios that come out of EA and like Ubisoft to really reach that same level that Larian gave us. But like I mentioned before, um, we will be streaming this week. Uh, that God of War DLC is coming on Tuesday, so we'll definitely be live for that. Um, other than that, we are you know getting back to Starfield because I haven't finished those last few missions. So we gotta finish that game. Um, we just beat Spider-Man this past week. It was a great game experience. I'm excited for the future of what Insomniac is gonna be doing with the Spider-Man games um, and potentially creating you know their own Avengers game at some point is that's kind of my hopes but you know I'm super excited for Wolverine whenever that shows up um you know a lot of people were disappointed that there wasn't a trailer or anything you know any mention of Wolverine here but yeah I imagine next year we'll definitely be getting something from that game but I'm also glad to see that you know Marvel has reached out to other companies and you know have other people doing Marvel you know games like I never never expected to get Blade from Arcane Studios I think that's probably going to be a really good team up there. But yeah, I'll definitely be getting back to Bowler's Gate. I'm going to finish Starfield um, before I get into the Cyberpunk expansion, because that's what I really want to be playing right now. Uh, I've been waiting to get into that as I finish other games. So make sure you join us on Twitch for even more gaming goodness. But now let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. Is, uh, I recall the first time I won the Dynamite Diamond Ring, but I can't recall who I beat. I know it was some talentless white trash hit. Renee, do you remember who I beat for the Dynamite Diamond Ring? Because it's escaping me. Oh man, you know, I think it was me. And I think it made me so upset. I had to console myself by becoming the world champion instead. Oh yeah, you know, that reign was fantastic. Last about six months, right? Tremendous stuff. Thing is, my reign's kind of been uh, well over a year. Well, I'm uh, I'm sure you're real proud of that, and I'm sure you'll continue to be proud of it while you're 70 years old, at home, by yourself, telling your ninth cat about your one-year title reign. Yeah. So up front, uh, I did not catch Collision this week, so you're gonna have to fill me in on exactly how that show went down. Uh, but from what I saw from the results and from what we got from Dynamite, I thought uh, it was altogether a solid week from AEW. Yeah, I mean, Collision just had solid matches. I wouldn't say that anything, you know, spectacular went down like in between the segments and such. Like we got little things that were like pushing towards the Adam Copeland versus uh, Christian match. You know, they had a little video package there. But beyond that, I mean, it's just mostly Samoa Joe trying to hunt down and stop MJF from getting in trouble. They again had Roderick Strong trying to convince Samoa Joe that like, you know, MJF's most likely the devil and, you know, to take them seriously. And Joe kind of laughed them off as he has better things to deal with, with watching over MJF. Gotcha, gotcha. But from what I heard, the Continental Classic matches uh, that were featured on the show were pretty top-notch, right? Yeah, the show actually started off with uh, Brody King versus uh, Claudio, which was, you know, of course, just a heavy-hitting match the entire way through. Um, I, I love every match that Brody King has in this tournament so far, so. And of course, Brody King won. He's up six points right now. Uh, Claudio only has three. Yeah, I mean, you say of course, but that's a pretty big win for Brody King. Uh, I know, like, um, they, I didn't think, that, like, in my eyes, Brody King's, you know, a, a big challenger in this tournament. Like, and the fact that the storyline in, like, uh, commentary is that, like, you know, people were underselling his ability. I, I just thought that was a little ridiculous. Well, Claudio is a, a pretty big name. So, I mean, 
you know, I mean, Brody is definitely a heavy hitter and, you know, he's up and coming, but Claudio has been a champion in multiple companies and, you know, he was just, you know, recently the Ring of Honor world champion. So, I mean, it is an upset victory, at least storyline wise. Now, was I necessarily surprised that Brody went over? No, because it definitely feels like, you know, Brody's stock is pointing up right now in AEW. Uh, you know, they're they're definitely trying to push him more as a single star, um, you know, and in, in flashes from what we've seen of him, because I don't think he's had that many single matches. Um, you know, he had that many feud with Darby. But, you know, exactly. from what we've seen of him, I mean, he he definitely deserves the push. So, I mean, he's a standout, really, especially if Malachi is, you know, kind of injury prone. It'd be good to have Brody King. I have no idea what the fuck is going on with malachi there were rumors out there that he's got a bad back and that's why they've been trying to protect him in a lot of like tag and you know trios programs um Mm -hmm. and that's why we haven't seen a serious like singles run from him since his debut you know with the company but he's come out and said that's not the case that he's more than willing and ready to you know be a single star so I have no clue on what exactly is happening. So um, it just it, it just feels really odd, um, you know, but there was there were rumors, you know, that he wanted to leave the company at one point, um, you know, a little over a year ago. Um, and he went on a short like sabbatical and everything. You just think if he was that ready to go, he would have been the one in this tournament, you know, especially if they were trying to do like a, a small singles push. Yeah, you would think, but I, I, I'm like I said, I have no clue on what's happening. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm excited for Brody King. Um, but like, even though he's like, I believe he's the current points leader for the uh, blue bracket, I don't see him, you know, getting to the finals. Um, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, what was the other uh, tournament match? We also had Andrade versus Garcia. Andrade went over. Um, he's now at three points while Garcia is at zero and is close to elimination right now. Gotcha. And then, of course, the match of the night was Brian versus Kingston, uh, which, you know, it, Brian will let anyone beat the hell out of him. And Kingston was slapping him as hard as possible at every, you know, human body at every moment. The guy <laughs> has a fucking fractured or- orbital bone. Like, what the hell is he doing out there? Was he slapping him in the face? Everywhere. I mean, mostly chops to the chest. I right? saw but um, like... a few sites report that uh, Brian was possibly injured during the match. Uh, but then it came out that it was all fucking, you know, just Brian working, mm. um, which, you know, he, he, he's he's been known to, you know, sell an injury here and there to the point where, you know, he's got the people in the back believing he's actually legitimately hurt. So I wasn't surprised to hear that it was all fucking kayfabe and, you know, he's actually fine. Um, but yeah, no, I, I heard that this was a banger of a match. I, I, I definitely have to go back and uh, check this out. Yeah. If anything, check this one out. Uh, Brian is up three points, but Eddie has still not received any. Yeah. Uh, so he is in the same position as Daniel Garcia. I feel like they're just, you know, setting him up for a huge comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't fathom him not being in the finals of this tournament. He's still my pick to, to be the winner of the blue bracket. So um but you know maybe i'm wrong but you know like once again i feel like you know since they had him put up both of his titles and everything like that it just really telegraphs where all this is headed um i still think that that was a mistake um i I wish you know it was just a big trophy and a giant fucking check that they were you know fighting Mm -hmm. for and maybe maybe like a you know a title match somewhere down the line um i just you know i understand the prestige of like a triple crown and everything like that but at the same time, I just, I don't know. It just, it, it feels like the concept's a little dated. And I don't feel like it's, you know, with a company that has so many championships, I don't think it's going to mean as much as it once did, you know, back in the day. So, I don't know. Like, you wouldn't have been mad if it, like, led to, a, like, a title match at Evolution. Like, oh, you get a guaranteed, like, No, that's what events. I'm saying. If it was a title shot somewhere down the line, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, the fact that... I guess there's a continental championship too. Like we don't need more belts. 
<laughs> like that's the last thing AEW needs uh, right now. And I guess it's consolidating in a way the ROH title and the New Japan Open title, but like no one even like has Kingston ever defended the New Japan Open weight title on uh, AEW TV? Maybe once. I don't remember. Maybe. Like I forgot he had the fucking belt. So I mean. <laughs> You know, and like, you know, the ROH championship isn't going to go anywhere. And like, hmm. so is he defending the triple crown every time he defends the ROH uh, title now? You know, that's if, they, if he if wins, can, obviously. Hmm. If they consolidate them, does that mean that the triple crown is also defended over a I have as well? no idea. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. This is all really murky to me. Like, I don't understand uh. exactly what all this means. So in the long run, it, it just doesn't feel like it means much, you know, at least to me. I could do without any of this. So, um, you know, but overall, I, I've really enjoyed the tournament, you know, so I really feel like it's elevated the in-ring product, you know, the last couple of weeks. Like, I mean, the only reason I'm going to go back and, you know, watch Collision is because I want to see the, the tournament matches that took place. Um, because it sounds like at this point, like collision is still just a two match show, um, you know, which I, I feel like is a huge problem. Um, I, and I'm not quite sure why they're booking it that way, you know, and maybe they're just at this point kind of throwing in the towel and just knowing, you know, they know that they only have a certain amount of eyes on the show every week due to its time slots. So, you know, they don't want to give everything away on that show. Um, but I don't know. It still feels like a missed opportunity. Like, I feel like you well, you shouldn't... should still book it to be, like, must-see. Exactly. Isn't that the point? Because <laughs> even as a big AEW fan, um, I mean, it still feels incredibly skippable. But anyway, moving on to Wednesday night. Uh, the show started off with Moxley vs. Roosh, um, which was a hard-hitting affair, as you would expect. Um, I love Roosh. Like, slowly... He's becoming one of my favorite, like, AEW wrestlers on the roster. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, he's finally back on TV because he was gone for quite a bit. Um, I know he was in contract negotiations and everything like that, but then it just it felt like it took forever for him to re-debut uh, on the show because uh, he start right? It was on Collision. But they were doing all, all those weird vignettes with, you know, his faction mm. going to Mexico. And then it just, I don't know. It, it felt like it took like a couple of months for him to actually show up. Uh, but now that he's here, um, he's fucking kicking ass. Like, you know, Moxley and Rouge. I mean, their first match a while back was awesome. So I don't know why I expected any different. But they were just in there beating the shit out of each other. Um, you know, Max went over. I was a little disappointed that he wasn't working uh, the injury angle that I assumed was part of his storyline in this tournament. Uh, we saw him, you know, seemingly like hurt his knee against Jay Lethal. Um, he cut a promo about it, you know, about physically like breaking down and everything like that. But like during this match, like it didn't seem to be part of the story whatsoever. Um, those all go right yeah so i i thought that was a little odd but um overall like i mean th th this was just two guys beating the shit out of each other in the middle of the ring which is always going to be you know a hit in my books <laughs> um you know i love the finish with you know moxley you know catching with the bulldog choke and you know roosh waking up and being confused and everything like that um you know i, I thought roosh lost nothing in this loss if that makes any sense I mean, if anything, it just put over how much of a threat he is. Um, and I could see, like, him actually being more over with, you know, the AEW audience now after this match, um, which I, I think is kind of the point of this tournament. I mean, with the rumors of, like, Andrade leaving, I could totally, I mean, I'm glad that Roosh, you know, has the reins, I should say, over this faction that he's in and everything like that. And, you know, seeing that he can still flourish here even without Andrade around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been separated for quite a while now, mm -hmm. um, which I was surprised by at first because it felt like, okay, well, they're both on the same show. They both seem to be colliders, if you will. Uh, <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, I'm sure they're going to end up, you know, teaming up again or, you know, Andrade would join the faction. Um, but 
it seems like Andrade is, you know, right now currently stuck in the uh, Miro storyline, which I'm guessing is probably going to lead to a match against those two at World's End. Uh, but I've been wrong before. I mean, <laughs> AEW definitely can get a little long-winded with their storylines, so who knows? Yeah, like the, the exchange between Miro and his wife this week was very, I, I don't know where they were going with any of that. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the storyline is pretty odd. So what I'm getting from this storyline is, like, CJ is trying to manipulate Miro and, like, feed him different opponents. Like, you know, control him in a roundabout way, even though, like, Miro wants nothing to do with her right now. Like, she's kind of playing this long con and, like, setting up her, like, so-called associates to, like, you know, get destroyed by Miro. Um you know, maybe she's trying to, like, you know, get Miro's mojo back or, you know, once again, it's more about power for her. Um, I, but I just I foresee like this whole like angle ending with, you know, Miro and CJ back together. I mean, it makes sense to me, but I just I I like <laughs> the whole like, you know, you you went after your God and now I'm I'm doing my th- I, I, just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's getting real complicated. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's over whatsoever um, because it is so odd. Um, hmm. But that's what I think they're going for. Uh, is it working? Not really. So but anyway, um but anyway, a uh, quick show note. Uh, I know Collision, this week's Collision, actually taped the day before Dynamite this week. Uh, but we're not going to get into spoilers, even though they're out there on the Internet. So when you hear us talk about the brackets, um, you know, and who's in the lead, it's it's basically everything up to, you know, after Dynamite. But the next match out of the Gold League was Swerve Strickland versus Mark Briscoe. We had Swerve going over um, in a you know, a damn fine match. Uh, Swerve is still incredibly over. Uh, you could really tell that the crowd, you know, wanted to cheer Swerve. Um, but I think at the <laughs> same time, you know, Briscoe's such a favorite that they were a little torn. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just so endearing, you know, to watch as a character. And, and, and his in ring work is easy to get over the crowd every time. Mark Briscoe. Oh, yeah, 100%. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's even without like everything that's, you know, happened to him, you know, in his personal yeah. life this year. So I, I definitely see Briscoe as a big star in the making, you know, with AEW, not that he's not already a big star, um, but I, I feel like with the AEW audience, he's really going to get over to that like next level. Um, and I could see him like eventually, you know, capturing gold, but that's not going to happen just yet because he suffered a loss here, which actually mathematically eliminates him from the tournament. Um, now he's still in the tournaments, but he can't win the tournament because it's a round mm-hmm. robin, meaning you still play out all the rounds. Um, but this also means that Swerve, along with Moxley, is in the lead for the gold bracket with nine points. Um, so, I mean, Swerve's push continues, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him getting a world title match sooner than later. Uh, we know next week, uh, we're going to have Moxley versus Swerve, uh, at Winter's Coming. Uh, do you have any predictions? Because that's a pretty big fucking match. I still feel like Moxley's going to go over, um, and win the tournament in general, or at least get to the finals of the tournament. Um, but man, I just, I don't know. Cause they're, they're also very skittish about like losses here in AEW all the time. So I wouldn't be too surprised if it was like a tie or some type of smudge in the end. I mean, I wouldn't mind a draw. I mean, cause it's built in story-wise with the tournament mm-hmm. and it's something that they've been teasing in a lot of the matches. Um, I'm actually surprised that we haven't gotten a draw yet. So I could see them going to a draw. Um, but man, it'd be huge for Swerve to get the win over Moxley. Um, it would, you know, math wise, cause I don't see Swerve winning the tournament. Um, I feel, you know, at least his bracket, I feel like Moxley, like you is probably going to end up, you know, coming out on top and we're, and we're most likely going to get, you know, Moxley versus Kingston, uh, in the finals. But I think you could do it in a way where, you know, Swerve gets the win, 
but then Moxley wins out and then Swerve, like, you know, suffers a loss, you know, due to like Hangman, you know, maybe like getting, you know, getting jumped, you know, after a match or something like that. And he gets too injured where, you know, affects his performance, you know, in his next, you know, match. Because on this episode, we did have Hangman make his return. Uh, we haven't seen him since the pay-per-view, um, you know, in his match with Swerve. Um, you know, he addressed Swerve right off the bat, basically saying, you know, even though I can make all the excuses in the world with, you know, ev- you know, with all the interference, you know, he's going to take the loss here, but he's going to take, you know, accept the loss. Um, I'm totally paraphrasing, but their story is not over. Um, and he's going to take what means the most from him. So I'm guessing that's going to be like, you know, a world title shot or, you know, this tournament. Got to be a cage match coming soon, right? <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Um, I don't know if that will take place at World's End or uh, Revolution, which is March, right? It's in March. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I feel like they're going to want to put a bow on this storyline um, soon. So, um, yeah, it, just from the the tone of his promo and everything like that. And I think the writing's been on the wall. Like, I, I could definitely see you know, hangman, you know, jumping swerve at some point, you know, cause we know we, we can't have interference, but you know, that doesn't mean that hangman can't take him out in the locker room or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I could see that. Or even maybe like, you know, MJF, you know, he's somehow gets a title shot with MJF and, you know, hangman, you know, interferes, um, you know, cause I mean, if you look at it, really the crowd's so behind swerve right now, you could get a double switch. Because I feel like if Hangman costs Swerve, you know, a title of some sort, like the fans might Damn. turn on Hangman. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. The one thing I will say is like, you know, AEW is doing a great job of pushing Swerve and making him feel like a big deal. And they're definitely trying to like, you know, capitalize on it. I mean, I. To me, he feels like he's the the number two heel behind like Christian right now in the company. Oh, 100 percent. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. And I, and I always feel like a top heel is always, you know, an angle away from being a top baby face. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Hangman and Swerve switch roles, um, you know, down the line, which I don't like. We've never really truly seen a heel Hangman. You know, he had his yep. moments of like confusion during the whole like Kenny Bucks, uh, you know, the whole tag situation, right? When he cost the Bucks uh, their match, you know, mm-hmm. for the championship. Um, but that was really it. You know, he was, you know, back a couple weeks later apologizing to them. <laughs> you know, he was filled with regret right away. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe it's time for Hangman to be healed. Now, do you have Prince Nana with Hangman? Then? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Although Prince Nana on like Western gear would be fabulous. Uh, the only other match in the tournament that we got for this week was Switchblade uh, versus Jay Lethal, uh, which Jay White came out on top. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it keeps Jay White alive. Um, Jay Lethal is now mathematically eliminated from being able to, you know, win this tournament. Uh, I'm guessing he'll probably play spoiler at some point. Same with Briscoe, either wrestling a possible contender to a draw or eliminating someone with an upset win. I still am sticking to my guns. I wish Lethal wasn't part of this tournament. And I kind of feel the same way about Briscoe just because I feel like I feel like it's made some outcomes pretty predictable. Um, And Tony's been pretty safe in the way that he's booked this tournament so far. Um, I was really expecting to see like some, you know, upsets or draws right up top, but that hasn't been the case, but you know, he's probably saving that for like the final rounds. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, it's just that mentality of like you you thought like you're going to get the best of the best and then you have wrestlers that have a clear like yeah. they're probably going to lose to these upper yeah. you know, card and, guys. And like I don't have a problem with the brackets overall, but like he literally, Tony Khan literally came out and said, we're going to get the best wrestlers in typical fashion. Like he mm-hmm. oversold it. So like, you know, right off the bat, you're thinking G1, right? 
right? Not that you don't have your mid-carders in G1, but you're expecting all your top echelon wrestlers to be participating in the tournament, and that mm-hmm. hasn't been the case. Um, hopefully down the line that changes um, where you know you get all your main eventers in this tournament. It, I think it'll just make it feel like a bigger deal. Um, but... You know, I understand too. At the same time, you're trying to book towards pay per views and everything like that, and you know you've got other storylines taking place. You're trying to placate, you know, different groups of fans, if you will, because um, I'm sure there's a group of fans who are more interested in the storylines that are taking place than the tournament right now. But speaking of storylines, uh, you know, and going back to Hangman, uh, after Hangman addressed everything that happened with Swerve Strickland. Uh, we had MJF show up, uh, and there was a pretty interesting interaction between those two. Um, they both traded insults. Um, MJF was coming off as a total heel here. Um, oh, yeah. Totally 100%. just antagonizing the shit out of Hangman for no fucking reason whatsoever. Uh, you know, once Hangman started giving it back to him, MJF turned around and accused him of being the devil, which felt kind of out of nowhere. Um and I'm sure that was the point. I think it, you know, they're trying to give us a red herring, but, um, you know, Hangman, you know, turned around and said, it's pretty obvious to everyone that, you know, you're the devil, which at this point, there's a lot of evidence, you know, pointing in that direction. Um, but still, like, if you think about it, if you really think about it, it, it just wouldn't make any sense. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it was an interesting wrinkle. Like, it adds someone to the list of suspects um, because we were supposed to have our tag match with, you know, Samoa Joe and MJF facing off against, I guess, two of the devil uh, henchmen. And it never took place because once Joe hit the ring, the lights started to flash. We saw the devil on the big screen. And then we got a shot of MJF laid out in the back um, with a beer bottle next to his head. Um, so it, it looks like someone's trying to set up. Hang could be possibly MJF framing him, but I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's another wrinkle, like I said. It's a little storyline progression, so I appreciate that because it felt for a while we are really treading water with this ankle. Um it, you know, so things are a little back on track. Um, this whole storyline's not really doing that much for me at this point. I know a lot of people are into it, and that's fine. If that's your cup of tea, that's great. I mean, what's awesome about AEW, it's, you know, a wrestling buffet. Like, they have a little something for everyone. Um, but I don't know. How are you feeling about the whole, you know, mystery of the devil? I just, because I know that the original point was probably going to be Adam Cole. It still could be. You know, and I I feel like they have to, it still could be. I feel like they have to either pivot or, you know, blame it on MJF, which it's possible that it could be him just because, like, they've already baked it into his character that he's self-sabotaging and he's always, like, you know, gone against his own friends and stuff like like that. And, you know, always pushed everyone away. why would he hide it? I don't understand, like... (laughs) Because he wants to be kind of, of Adam in Cole, quick like he's scared of, to like disappoint Adam Cole, baby. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Like I'd have to go back and like. Hold on, I'm sorry. Hold on. I mean, it all started with. I don't know. Like I'd have to go back and like rewatch every beat of this story so far, because I feel like there's so many plot holes. If MJF is the devil. And it's going to be like, you know, the whole Vinnie Mac being, you know, the leader of the ministry, you know, like that. It, like it's going to it's going to be that storyline all over again. You know, like, you know, it's me, Austin. It was me all along. Like that's <laughs> that, you know, at the time, like I know it's become a fucking meme at this point. But at the time that went over like uh-huh. a fart in church, like people were incredibly disappointed with that like there was rumors of like all these other bigger names possibly being you know the leader and uh at one point it was rumored that it was christopher daniels that'd be hilarious if they made christopher da- daniels the devil 
in this storyline now just as oh a fucking God. callback i mean <laughs> it'd be hilarious uh-huh. not, not in a good way um but i mean at this point it, it feels like it has to be a big enough twist and a big enough name uh for it to really get over with the audience because i i think people would be just let down if it's mgf like I, i'm uh, there's also the whole like pinnacle theory where it's all the members of the pinnacle trying to get revenge on MJF. I, I feel like that would be boring as well. But who, so was that Wardlow, Wardlow and FTR, FTR and uh, Sean Spears, Sean Spears. Yeah. Yeah. No one, no one wants that. <laughs> I, I know they was... did the whole thing with Wardlow's hair being messed uh, up after, you know, uh, the henchmen jumped uh, MJF and Samoa Joe. But I feel like that was once again a red herring. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Wardlow isn't part of the group, but I don't think it's going to be like with the pinnacle. Um, but I could be wrong. I still think it's Adam Cole. Like that's the only name that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he doesn't like I know he's injured and he can't wrestle for quite a while, but he could still be the leader of this group. Um, and he could be, you know, using all these different wrestlers who are, you know, part of this faction to soften up MGF for when, you know, Cole does actually return. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Do you have a prediction on who it is right now? I mean, I'm still leaning Adam Cole, but I feel like it's either Adam Cole or it's MJF. Um, I think it would be cool if it was Hangman and like maybe the Bucks were in on it too. So there was, was like- a rumor that the Bucks are supposed to be returning with a new gimmick and mm-hmm. a, a pretty major storyline. So you could have the Bucks possibly be part of this group, but I don't see them being the leaders of it. Um, So Hangman, maybe Hangman is, but like what's his motives like why is he hiding behind a mask i don't like they have they would have to have a lot of like explaining for that to make sense i mean the bucks can still work with adam cole you know because i mean they they have a connection oh so you've got the bucks teaming up with cole then gotcha if so so cole would be the leader and the bucks would just you know you know, be part of the group. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Kyle O'Reilly has actually been backstage of late. Um, so, you know, maybe he's possibly ready to return to the ring too. So, you know, I could see him being part of the group. I mean, it could be like a hybrid faction, you know, with the kingdom and uh, the undisputed air, like coming together with, you know, Cole leading them. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it's predictable, but... It, I think story-wise, it it could make sense. But otherwise, uh, when it comes to highlights, I guess that leads us to the main event, right? Uh, We had uh, Adam Copeland face off against his longtime friend, Christian. Uh, So for me, this match was just okay. Um, About halfway through, I was like, okay, well, this is not the blow-off match. It, it, It felt to me like they're holding back and they're like saving something for later um which ended up being obviously the case by the end of this match so um (laughs) they were definitely working that wwe style um there are a lot more (laughs) chin locks than i'm used to in Uh an aw match uh you know it's not a bad thing and you know for me as a wrestling fan it's not as frustrating when you know you get it match after match on your typical like wwe show um but at the same time, it was a little jarring, you know, <laughs> when you're used to like, you know, this like, you know, nonstop action, no pun intended, um, you know, I, in your main events. Now, with that being said, I think it's probably the best like Edge versus Christian match I've seen, um, you know, but the, the, none of their matches, you know, against each other have ever really like tore down the house um, for me. So, because it's always a case too, like of you just wanting them to stop fighting and just you know team up and be friends, yeah, like yeah. just be friends. <laughs> you guys are better together. <laughs> like, I mean, with that being said, it was still a good match. Uh, the end though, 
it sounds like I'm just shitting all over this match. The end was a little clunky, and I was surprised by that. Like everything with the referee, um, you know, um, Copeland accidentally hits the ref. Christian then takes advantage of the situation when the ref's back is turned and kicks him the balls. Somehow this isn't a disqualification. I and I guess like the ref doesn't see who did it, but you would think AEW would just send someone down. You know, not that I'm nitpicking. Uh. But, <laughs> but anyway, as the ref lays injured on the ground, uh, out comes Nick Wayne's mom, kind of telegraphing what's about to happen. Uh-huh. She, kind of. She's not, she's not, <laughs> listen, man, in fairness, she's not a wrestler, so it is what it is. But, you know, she's staring at Edge, and it, it seems pretty obvious what she's about to do. But then she tries to play it off like she's trying to make a decision between you know, taking out Edge or Christian, but then, then to no surprise to anyone, she ends up taking out Edge uh, with a belt shot. Um, Christian then turns around, gets the pin, um, and Nick Wayne's mom leaves the ring. All this is obviously due to, you know, Edge concertoing her fucking son in the middle of the ring in front of her. <laughs> Which, like, once that happened... And, you know, they made sure to, you know, show her looking on horrified in the corner of the ring. I think it was pretty obvious where the storyline was headed. Um, Yeah, I mean, listen, Christian has been a complete mark. I mean, yeah, Christian's been a complete scumbag, but he's never, like, attempted to murder her son. So, (laughs) um. Now, with that being said, I could see this eventually evolve into Nick Wayne's mom actually joining the patriarchy, um, you know, and like actually becoming like a couple, if you will, with Christian, um, as gross as that sounds, um, and having this like dark, twisted family unit, um, which could be fun. But yeah, it could be a lot of fun, but she can't act. <laughs> she just has to kind of stand there, though. Uh there's the I possibility guess. she'll get better. I mean, you look at uh, Vicky Guerrero early on, you know, when she like first initially became an like on uh, when she first initially became an on camera, you know, character and everything like that um, to like where she was at at the end of her run with WWE, mm-hmm. uh, where she was one of the top heels in the company. <laughs> so um, everyone can grow Christian. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it has a lot of potential, so uh, I'm guessing this will just lead to a big match um, between Edge and Christian at uh, World's End. But as far as like this match, um, because of the fact that they're definitely leading to another bigger match, you could just tell that they were really holding back uh, and trying to save something for later on. And I think it just just overall affected the match negatively. I mean, the start of the match was fun, at least, because you, I mean, it's always great to see two people that are very close to each other because they, they're going to hit each other harder. You know, even like the shots on the outside felt a little bit, you know, stiffer than what we get. I sometimes. don't know, man. Maybe, you, you, maybe you, because you fucking Roosh and Moxley, oh, you know, well. kicked <laughs> off the show that it just felt like, I don't know. I didn't get that vibe whatsoever. Um, and this crowd like really did them no favors either. I was expecting like them to get a bigger reaction, especially since they're in Canada and everything, but that was not the case. And I don't know if they were just tired by the main event or, yeah, you know, because I mean, they had their moments like when they were actually like standing on their feet throughout the night. Um, but I don't know. They, they just didn't do this match any favors. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. It just wasn't for me. It is what it is. And it's not the storyline's fault because I've actually enjoyed like what they've done uh, angle wise, uh, you know, the, these past couple weeks. I know a lot of people thought it was weird for Edge to come out and like murder Nick Wayne, uh, but I kind of like that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that says a lot about me, but I mean, but I, I thought like because uh, people are like, oh, well, how's Edge the baby face? So it was like Edge is not the baby face. You know, like, if you think about it, like, he knew what Christian's been doing on AEW TV for the past how many months, and he still wanted to come to this company and team with him. So this is never about, like, Edge, like, being a good guy. This is more about Edge wanting to hang out with his friend and his 
his buddy rejecting him. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I mean, I could see, you know, in the next, like, you know, six months, Edge being a heel again. You know, I mean, like, he's basically a babyface because of circumstance. I mean, I still see once they do tag together, I feel like they'll both be faces, especially if they're going up against. Because I imagine you are going to have like a heel bucks. Listen, man, you're going to have to do a lot of fucking work to turn Christian babyface, though. <laughs> at this point, <laughs> I think there's enough people that enjoy his work as a heel that it wouldn't be as hard I, as you think it would. I'll give you tweeners at best. Like, I just can't imagine a baby-faced Christian anytime soon. Like, he's not Don Callis over here. He's, right? I think he's worse than Don Callis. <laughs> <laughs> Don's not talking about everyone's dead father. You know? Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> he was, he was going to have Nick Wayne concerto his own mother. Right? Did she deserve it? <laughs> Maybe for her acting performances, but... <laughs> Anyway, like I said, I've enjoyed the storyline. It's just this match was, a, I don't know, a little bit of a letdown. So, but I'm sure they're going to fucking kill it, you know, the next time they meet. So mm -hmm. until then, we have, uh, you know, the Von Erics to show up and, you know, a good fun moment with Christian. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah that's <laughs> definitely going to happen. So, uh, well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by the Amazing And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. World of Warcraft. Butters, you said you're on your computer all the time. Yeah, but I'm playing Hello Kitty Island Adventures.